Welcome to the For the Church podcast, another great gospel-centered resource from Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. My name is Jared Wilson. I'm an assistant professor of pastoral ministry at Spurgeon College, author in residence at Midwestern Seminary. It is a beautiful day today as we're recording this. By the time you're listening to it, it may be terrible. I don't know. I cannot predict the future. What do you expect from me, listeners? (laughs) Everyone is being discipled. The question is, what is discipling us? The majority of Christians today are being discipled by popular media, flashy events, and folk theology because churches have neglected their responsibility to make disciples. But the church is not a secondary platform in the mission of God. It is the primary platform God uses to grow people into the image of Jesus. Therefore, as church leaders, it is our primary responsibility to establish environments and relationships where people can be trained, grown, and be sent as disciples. There are three indispensable elements of discipleship, learning to to participate in the biblical story, growing in our confession of who God is and who we are, regularly participating in private and corporate intentional action, the spiritual disciplines. The new book, Deep Discipleship, equips churches to reclaim the responsibility of discipling people at any point on their journey. I'm grateful to have JT English with me on the podcast today. JT is a lead pastor of Storyline Fellowship in Arvada, Colorado, having previously served as a pastor at the Village Church in Flower Mound, Texas, where he founded and directed the Village Church Institute. He is the author of the book we're talking about today, Deep Discipleship, How the Church Can Make Full Disciples of Jesus. Dr. English, thanks so much for coming on the program. Thanks, brother. It is so good to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, um, before I ask you about the book, I want to ask you about the Village Institute. I know you're not there at the Village anymore. In fact, how how long have you been with um, um, in or um, Arvada? Yeah, I came, I came to Storyline Fellowship. This is kind of a wild story. I, I was at the Village for six years, okay, and then and thought I'd be there for the rest of. I mean, I, I so enjoyed my time there. I've got nothing but great things and great memories about the Village, and thought we'd be there for the next 15, 20 years. But the Lord called me here to Storyline Fellowship literally the first week of the pandemic. Wow. I was here for <laughs> I was here for my my uh, interview with the search team and the elder board the last week that they gathered together in some sense of normalcy. And so the following week when the pandemic hit is when I was announced as their candidate for lead pastor. And so my wife and I moved out here in May and uh, we're, uh, we're just trying to figure out how to pastor a church that we haven't met yet, which is wild. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I, I want to ask you about the Institute, the Village Church Institute, um, because yeah. again, you know, I know you're not at the village anymore, but um, the this model, church-based theological training, I think is becoming increasingly important. I mean, it's always been important, but it's being right. you know increasingly so. And I say this as a seminary prof on a seminary podcast, uh, yeah. but also as a guy who directs a local church residency um, for pastors in training. Um, yeah, yeah. Tell us about the institute, why y'all started it, how how it was conducted, that sort of thing. Yeah. Well, Jared, as you know, I mean, so much of what we do as ministers and pastors and theologians and scholars is rooted in like what God has done in our lives. You know, we get interested in maybe certain topics or certain things because it, it, it it's meaningful for our story. And so part of my story is I didn't grow up a Christian. When you think about kind of maybe where we're heading post-Christian secular uh, environments, that's what I grew up in. I grew up here in Denver, Colorado, and uh, came to faith in college through Campus Crusade for Christ and so deeply wanted to be discipled in the local church, but largely most of my 
my discipleship happened outside the church, Campus Crusade, then a THM at Dallas Seminary and PhD at Southern Seminary. And I praise the Lord for those institutions and those organizations. But I always wondered, what, what does it look like to do discipleship in the local church? Because for a lot of people, the sem- like I, I know this isn't true at Midwestern or Southern or other institutions, but there can be kind of the joke about seminary, about like, well, that's cemetery. You don't really get discipled there. And <laughs> and for me, I've got, I've got to say it's the opposite. Like I walked out of my you know, New Testament class and Old Testament class and systematic theology classes thinking this stuff is gold, like gold. How do we get, how do we get this content into the local church? Uh, Because for me, it it was like a, it was, it was fanning the flame of my love for the Lord, not stamping it out. So the Institute at the village really kind of was birthed out of this idea of how, how do we take this gold of church history and systematic theology and biblical theology and give it in such a way to where it would be accessible and, and uh, you know, digestible in the context of the local church. So we started the, we started the Village Church Institute in 2015, just with men's Bible studies and women's Bible studies. And kind of the heart of it for me, the thing I was most interested in was the thing that we called the training program. And it was a 32-week kind of in-depth theological training in the local church where we did biblical theology, systematics, and, and uh, spiritual formation. And Jared, I got to tell you, we, you know, I remember sitting next to Matt, you know, Matt Chandler's the lead pastor there. I know you know Matt well. Yeah. We were, I was sitting next to him in a, an executive staff meeting and we're talking about like the curriculum was scripture memory, say the story of the Bible in 20 minutes, uh, read Bavink, Edwards, Calvin, Luther. Like it was <laughs> it's no joke. Like yeah. it's, it was a real, real syllabus. Um, and so we were praying, like I was thinking, this is going to be on my back patio. We, you know, we're going to have 15 people sitting around a fire, kind of more conversational, dialogical, theological training. And he said, brother, you're going to have more people sign up than that. I was like, okay, let's pray for 50 people. <laughs> and that first year we had 459 people. <laughs> oh fly, my word. Okay. Which, which, which for the first year, I mean, I hadn't done it yet. You know, you're kind of speaking these things into existence. You're like, yeah, we can do this. You know, we had, all we had was a syllabus. I didn't have lectures prepared. I didn't have anything. And, and, uh, you know, it, it wasn't a great feeling. You're like, oh my goodness, we have overpromised and underdelivered. <laughs> we were able to allow 200 people in that first year. And the thing that was awesome, Jared, is like, I, I thought this was going to be, you know, the, the kind of person who either has gone to seminary, is thinking about going to seminary, wants to go to seminary. But we were having moms of five kids show up in their, you know, late 30s and who are just like, I've never had the opportunity to grow theologically. And now I finally have it in my church and I want it. It was it was 75 year old saints who, you know, had had been deacons in their church for 30 years, but had never had the opportunity to be discipled in deep ways like the the, the people who are showing up weren't just the young guns who wanted to like learn their Bibles really well. It was like, it was just the church. The church was showing up and saying, we want more. And so over the, over the five years that we were there able to do the training program, we had over a thousand graduates uh, walk through that training program in our residency, which was, I mean, it's just one of those things. Like when I left the village talking with Matt and talking with Jen and Mason King and others, it was like, these are the good old days, you know, already. Mm -hmm. I feel like in my ministry, I just, I've had such, a sweet experience that could only be attributed to the Lord to see people, like just regular people. Like think about Jared, your church or, or anybody who's listening to this, your church, like just the average member. It was those people who were like, I want more Trinitarianism. I, I want more substitutionary atonement. I want to understand who, who Herman Bovink was. So it was just, I, mean, I could preach about this for an hour. I won't, but it was just a, a really, really sweet season. 
I'm I'm sensing. I don't know if you do as well, but I'm I'm sensing a kind of sea change, in, especially among the younger generation, but really uh, in in churches in general, towards you know more rigorous theological training in everything from Sunday school to even small groups and that sort of thing, and more churches getting serious about leadership development in in ways that they um, hadn't previously, beginning to think more long term about. Um, succession and and you know, passing the baton and um, I, I'm I'm really optimistic about that. H- how is what we're experiencing now? Um, however, you would typify that. I'm I'm assuming you know you you would think as as most do as I do that evangelicalism in, in particular in America is is kind of um, at the very least a mixed bag. <laughs> oh yeah, um, for sure. So. How is what we're experiencing now a result of the kind of discipleship or or lack thereof of say the last you know twenty to thirty years? Man, I think that is such an important question, and I think there's probably multiple answers answers to it. I'm, uh, there's just one answer, but I think all of us would probably sit back and say. And one of the things that I try, I try to talk about in the book, it, the the language I used is we have a disease. You know, evangelicalism, whatever kind of nook or cranny uh, or stream you're a part of, I don't think any of us would say we're crushing it. And, you know, <laughs> we're, the church is super healthy and things are going the way that they should. And, that, and that's not necessarily an indictment. You know, you look at First Corinthians and you look at uh, it, it doesn't mean it, the church isn't always operating in, in, you know, full spiritual flourishing and health. But us as pastors and leaders and ministers, it's important for us to diagnose what kind of a disease that we have. And I think one of the one of the things that I talk about in the book is I think over the last 20 or 30 years, we've, we've actually done a misdiagnosis. So uh, my wife, a few years ago, I won't go deep into this story, but she was diagnosed with cancer. Um, and so for 30 days, we were beginning to treat and thinking about operations and doing pathology reports. And turns out, I mean, we were meeting with with even Matt's on Matt Chandler's oncology. It was a, it was a really serious disease mm-hmm. that my wife was diagnosed with. And um Turns out 30 days later, she was misdiagnosed. She had a different kind of tumor. It was a serious tumor, but but you think you look back and you think, okay, what if we would have what if we would have started treating my wife as if she had cancer? Uh, the misdiagnosis would have led to more pain and to more um, disease than than she actually had. And so the question you're asking here is is the question about the discipleship disease. What what is wrong with the church right now? What are we where are we malnourished? And I, I do think that the last 20 or 30 years we've answered that question by saying we are too deep. Um, my experience coming into the church as a new Christian was uh, you know, I was told that the greatest uh, threat to my thriving, you know, abiding in Jesus was intellectualism. Uh, and, and I, I understand that that is a threat. We don't want to just love the Lord with our minds. We want to love the Lord with our, with our, with our whole being. But the reality is I don't think the disease is that we're too deep, but it's that we're far too shallow actually. And we haven't invited people into the deep abiding waters of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We've allowed some of the cultural signposts of what it means to be a, an American in the, in the 20th and 21st century to be signs for what it means to be a disciple of Jesus in the 21st century. And it's time for the church to look real seriously and say, look, are, are, are we asking people to truly follow Jesus of Nazareth, the Messiah, or are we asking him to follow some cultural things that, that have, have maybe defined evangelicalism for the last 20 or 30 years? And so, so part of what we're experiencing now is that we've believed that if 
if we're able to lower the bar of participation in the local church, we will get more involvement. But what's happened is, is we've actually just settled for some kind of spiritually generic, apathetic form of following Jesus, when in actuality, it's time for the church to raise the bar and, and, and remind people that we're called to carry a cross. Discipleship isn't about self-actualization. It's about self-denial and following Jesus. Woo, that's, that's a word, brother. <laughs> okay, t- tell me about the book, right? So there, there's a ton of discipleship books out there. Um, what's the problem or, 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 or issue that deep discipleship is, is solving or addressing? What makes deep discipleship different from everything else? Yeah, well, the first thing I want to say about the book is, you know, it is just a book. You know, it's there are lots of books that that it tries to be in conversation with. As, as you know, anytime you're an author, you're just trying to contribute to the conversation. Deep, deep discipleship is not a silver bullet. What I don't do in the book is say, here's what every church should do. Uh, that would be very prideful and arrogant, I think, <laughs> if, if if somebody say. But really what the book tries to do is to help the church ask better questions. You know, one of the main questions I would get when I was still serving at the village is, can my church do this? I'm just a bivocational pastor. I yeah. serve a church of 100 people in, you know, Lincoln, Nebraska, and I'm, I'm, I'm working as a mechanic and as a pastor. You know, how, how do I do this? And the book is really an attempt to speak to those pastors, not just the pastors of churches with lots of resources and big budgets and lots of uh, of kind of publicity, but it's, no, 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 just, just faithful local churches. And so what deep discipleship tries to do is is, is not just try to help the, the, the summits of the world or the Austin Stones or the villages, but, but every local church by asking more important questions. So like, I think we'll maybe walk through some of these in a minute, but like, one, one example of a better question would be is, is we've asked the question, where can we make disciples? And we should be asking the better question, where should we make disciples? Or or maybe, maybe another uh, question people will resonate with in their local churches. Often we ask the question, what do disciples want? Because we've been formed by kind of a consumeristic yeah. uh, marketing form of, of what we should be offering as a church. And so if we can offer a better product than the church next door, what do our people want? Then, then we're going to keep people in church. But man, that's a bad question. Like you think about ever since October 31st and Halloween, my, my two kids, we've got a you know bag full of candy in our, in our pantry. And if I showed up at dinner every night and asked my kids as their daddy, hey, what do you guys want? Do you know what their answer is going to be? <laughs> Their answer is going to be, I want that Snicker bar. You right. know, I want, I want the the fun dip, or I want, you know, the, the three musketeers. But as a parent, my my responsibility is to actually to to give my kids what they need, the nutrients of what it means to be a healthy person. And so, so what I think is different about this book is that it's just asking. I'm I'm trying to help pastors and ministry leaders ask better questions. Not what do we want, what do disciples want, but what do they need? Where not where should we make disciples, or not where can we, but where should we make disciples? And of course, the answer to that is the local church. Yeah, you you alluded to this um, in 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 your answer there, but I'm wondering about the the concept of space because you have a whole chapter dedicated to where does discipleship happen in the church. I wonder if you could flesh that out for us a little bit. What do you have to say about where discipleship happens? Yeah. So again, that's kind of that. How do we ask the better question? We often ask the question, where can we make disciples? But the better one is, where should we make disciples? Does the Bible indicate where we should make disciples? And there's, I think there's two answers to that. The first thing is local church leaders that we need to, to just be committed to and take the mantle back is that we 
we should be unashamed and unapologetic in saying the primary place that the Lord Jesus Christ intends to make disciples is the local church. Yes. And that wonderful seminaries like Midwestern Seminary or or Spurgeon College come alongside as supplements to the local church, not not as the as the as the main course. And I, I know that you would agree with that too. That that these institutions come alongside the sur- I mean, that's that's why I'm so thankful for Midwestern that that you're trying to serve for the church. That's that's what this whole podcast is about. But then even within the local church over the last 20 or 30 years, there's been a conversation about, okay, well, what kind of environments do we need to create in order to serve uh, disciples in the local church? And, and over the last 20 or 30 years, I think there's been maybe a pendulum swing. And again, this is my experience coming in as a non-Christian, not having kind of the, the weird evangelical subculture that we're all aware of as a part of my background. Just a, I was a pagan, secular guy. And for so many of us, we have said that discipleship is synonymous with community. And we've maybe looked down at some of the education-based models, like the, the old school Sunday school stuff, or or maybe residency programs. And really all we need is to be known in the context of community. And, and hear me clearly, community is an indispensable element of discipleship. But again, we've been sold a false dichotomy and simplistic thinking. We've been told that we have to adopt an either or approach to ministry. Either you're a church that's devoted to community or you're a church that's devoted to education. And at the village church, uh, we had we had kind of adopted this community-driven approach for 10 years. There was a wonderful book written about, gosh, it's probably 10 years ago now by Eric Geiger by my same publisher uh, called uh, Simple Church. And it really it, it, it encouraged churches to deprogram some things and simplify their ministries, which, again, is, I think is a healthy thing, always reevaluating. But some churches, and I think we would have said this at the village, took, took that message a little too far, probably further than Eric intended it, and said, all we need to do is get people in community. Hmm. But the reality is, if you look at like Ligonier studies or LifeWay's studies, our only problem isn't loneliness. That is a problem within the church. We need to connect people and we need to get them in community. We have an equal problem of Bible illiteracy. Right. Like we don't know our Bibles. We don't know the basic confessions of the faith. And so if our only solution to discipleship is to get people in community, then all we're doing is pooling ignorance if we're not training and teaching people in the scriptures. And so what I advocate for in deep discipleship is to say churches need to adopt an, a both-and approach to discipleship, that we we can look at, at community-driven environments like home groups or missional communities and, and things like the training program or men's and women's Bible studies, not as competitive with each other, but actually as complementary. Like what if you had environments in your church where you said the highest stated value here is community? That's it. If you're a home group leader, you don't have to be a counselor. You don't have to be a Bible teacher. You don't have to be a sending mission. Like we were, we were sending missionaries from home groups and the home group leaders were coming to us and saying, we feel like we're doing everything, which means like we feel like we're doing nothing. And so we, we actually just said, let's have two kinds of environments. Let's have the spaces where we're our primary focus and our highest stated value is community. Get to know people, get to know and let them get to know you. But then we had other environments where we said the highest stated value here is learning, because I think that's actually over the last 20 or 30 years, the, the discipleship value that's been least addressed, that disciples, the, 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 within the very definition of being a disciple is to be a learner, to be a learner of the way of Jesus. Yeah. So, I mean, how do you know, or what's the, or is there a finish line? You know, how do you know, okay, we've, we've made a disciple. <laughs> Is right, there right. is there a graduation process or a you know you know out of the yeah. out of the pipeline pops a 
you know, fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ kind of thing? Yeah, well, Matt Chandler will tell you he's it. No, I'm just kidding. He wouldn't say that. <laughs> no, no, there isn't. I mean, we all know this, right? If you're a if you're a local church leader, anytime you 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 hear somebody like me talking about a discipleship program, you you think, okay, yeah, but it's it's, it's gonna it's gonna overpromise and underdeliver, and that's not what I'm trying to say. I mean, discipleship is a lifelong journey that for most of us is going to end on our deathbed somewhere as we're seeking to honor the Lord both in life and death. And so, so when we when we would tell people who were graduating from the training program or from our residency, it wasn't like now you're done. It's that we've given you the tools to keep going. I think one of the one of the maybe the illusions that an education-based approach can have is this is, is what you're addressing. It's like, well, now you've graduated. And and what we said, no, 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 nobody graduates from discipleship. If you if mm. you have finished the training program, you are now commissioned to go make more disciples. The same thing happens at Midwestern Seminary's campus. When you guys finish a, a semester or a year, it's not that, okay, here's your degree from Spurgeon College or from Midwestern Seminary. Now you've got your MDiv, you're done. It's actually all we've tried to do is give you the tools to be a disciple and to go make more disciples. So, so what we said is, is every environment that we have at the village is a sending environment. If you're in the training program and you just had 32 weeks of biblical and systematic theology, you are now one of the most equipped people here at the village church. What are you going to uh, the question we would ask was, what have you learned and who are you going to go teach it to? I know as, as you've probably transitioned back into the, the academy, Jared, one of the things that I learned as I transitioned from the academy to the local church is that I didn't, I didn't really know what I thought I knew until I had to teach it. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Like, like you can take a test and you can write a paper and those things are all valuable. But I mean, I, I had a, TH, a four-year THM from Dallas Seminary and a three-year PhD from Southern Seminary, and I got up to teach systematic theology, and that's where the real learning happened, right? Like, mm. the learning didn't happen when I wrote my dissertation. Of course, learning happened when I wrote my dissertation. Don't I'm not trying to over over like you know be hyperbolic, but the reality was when I had to own the material in front of somebody else, that's when it really soaked into my heart a little bit. And the same can be true for the mom of five who comes to the training program. And after the training program, I commission her and say, you are now commissioned back into your home or into your workplace, or, or perhaps it's a church, a church planter. You're now commissioned to, to go make disciples. Like, like, so one of my, one of my closest friends in the training program, her name was Samantha Smith. And she's the the example I've been talking about, she had five kids. She was, you know, in her late thirties walking through the training program. And every week, you know, as we finished the training program, I said, Samantha, now it's your responsibility to take what you just learned about the Abrahamic covenant or, or what you just learned about wisdom literature, what you just learned about the nature of the local church. And I want you to go home and teach it to your high schooler. Like your, your high schooler, Noah needs, needs to know this. Like you're not here just for you. You're here for the for the local church, and and I'm, I'm just going to say one last thing here, and I, I can get preachy about this stuff, but no, this is one going. of the things that I think is qualitatively different about the local church in comparison to a seminary experience. And again, this is not an either or approach. We need healthy seminaries. I I want to send as many students as I can to healthy seminaries, but but when you're doing this kind of discipleship in the local church, um, it it it, it a fa- it's a family driven approach. Here, here's what I mean. Um, in seminary, you're really there for you. You know, you know that you're going to graduate and you're paying money to be a part of a class and you're going to graduate two or three years from now or four years from now and, and go pastor. The, your, your classmates, you love them and they're your colleagues, but 
but it's not the same thing as a local church member, right? So like, Jared, you have a different relationship with the, the pastoral ministry team you're serving with than with the team that you serve at Midwestern. Both are necessary relationships, but it's just different, right? You're in a covenantal relationship with one and, and not with the other. Yeah. And so when you're in the local church, you're not just there to learn for yourself. You're there to celebrate other people's learning. Like one of the one of the best things that came out of the training program was seeing more mature saints who've maybe maybe been to seminary before and they're they're just maybe brushing up on systematic theology, having them celebrate the brand new student who had a light bulb go off on something that that they thought was pretty simple. You know what I mean? Like to say, like, I'm not just here to learn for myself. I'm here because because if Samantha learns and if Timothy learns and if John learns and if you know, Bethany learns, it means that we have a healthier local church, not just that I as an individual have graduated from the training program. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. Um, you know, one, I don't know if I call it concern, but just a, a, a caution that I have about um, any kind of discipleship program, training program, even, even the residency that I, you know, that I conduct as well is it, it lends itself if we're not careful to mistaking an efficiency that following Jesus sometimes, you know, um, in reality resists, right? You know, following Jesus isn't always the most efficient. Um, you know, frequently it's it's the least efficient way to live your life uh, right. or, or, you know, the least pragmatic perhaps. Um, so I'm wondering in, in this kind of uh, approach, the deep discipleship approach, what are some of the harder aspects of making disciples that we tend to take shortcuts around and, and how mm. would your approach here kind of help us? So even as we're systematizing, we're, we're, you know, we have good, um, yeah, organized programs, theological training, but we're not, you know, communicating a kind of, um, you know, efficient or pragmatic approach to, That's right. fo- to following Jesus. Yeah, that, Jared, that's so good. So, um, gosh, this is, that's such a good question. So, in the syllabus that we that we gave to our training program students, is the the very first requirement. Uh, we just the the word that we used was charity, mm. um, we, charity and worship, and we just said, look, because if actually I'll back up a little bit. If if you're adopting the approach of deep discipleship, the the danger that you might be in is is falling under the illusion that if only I can deliver these learning outcomes, then I will have made a deep disciple. Like if if they have read Bavink, if they have read Augustine, if they have read, you know, Tom Schreiner on New Testament, whatever it is, then I've made a deep disciple. And the reality is, as you know, sometimes when you do that, and maybe this is too strong of a word, sometimes you just create jerks. You know, you, you've just created somebody who's a punk and they, they've grown their head, but not their heart. They've grown their, their pride, but not their humility. And of course, that's, that's not what we're trying to do. And, and, and that's not why those books were written in the first place. And so we, we said the, the very first instinct that we want of disciples that are coming out of the training program, like if, if you graduate from the training program and you go back into your home group or you go serve in kids ministry, I, what I don't want to hear from the people you're interacting with at the church is that, uh, oh my goodness, you know, Jared, he did the training program and he's so smart. What, what I want, what I want to hear about Jared, who did the training program is, oh my goodness, Jared did the training program and he loves the Lord and he loves people. Like he is a kind, humble, charitable person that, that what we're trying to build isn't just smarter Christians, but loving Christians. 
Christians who love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love their neighbor as themselves. As themselves. And so, what we said is, is, I just said, look, if if you're in here and you're and you're beginning to develop theological or spiritual pride, that runs in direct contrast to our intention. Our intention is is charity, it's humility, it's love. And as you grow in your love and knowledge of God, then then what that should produce in you is affections for the Lord and affections for others, not some kind of like if you're talking in your cohort, spiritual um, arrogance. And we've all seen that. And we know that, that this kind of discipleship model can produce that. We just tried to cut the head off from the beginning and say, look, that's not why we're here. We're, we're here to, to produce faithful local church members who are sacrificing themselves for the sake of others. That's great. I think the, you know, even the title of your book, the concept of it speaks to, speaks to that as well, because, um, you know, I, I did grow up in, in, in church and whenever people would talk about, you know, going deeper or deep things, it was typically about knowing more, right? Deep Mm -hmm, things, mm -hmm. you know, deep things beyond the gospel would be eschatology and those sorts of things. And again, you know, certainly to be a disciple is to is to learn more to continue to grow in your knowledge of of God and of His Word, but what you're speaking to is actually, um, you know, a deep into the person, a, a heart change, right. transformation, um, that the you know fruit of the Spirit is 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 blossoming in us. So it 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 speaks to the right you know the the proper focus of depth and um, you know that the uh, you know the renewing of our mind leads to a transformation of us. I, I think that's so important. Um, Brother, this is a question that I'm asking more and more of our guests, and uh, I'm wondering if you wouldn't mind weighing in. um, What is your your hunch or your vision of what the church, particularly you know, particularly in America, uh, again we're broad brushing here, but what will the church look like in five years? Do you think? Oh man, that uh, <laughs> I know it's a big I'm question. Not, yeah, it's a good, it's a good question though, and it's question it's a question that I think pastors need to be praying through and thinking through and and trying to to bend their eyes, so to speak, over the horizon as best we can and step with the spirit. So I, I, again, I think it's a great question. I will say though, I'm not a prophet nor the son of a prophet, but I'll, I'll give my best guess. <laughs> that's what they all say, man. When I yeah, right. <laughs> ask this question, <laughs> that's right. Um, you know, and, and, and the reason it's hard is that it's complex. I mean, here we are facing unprecedented racial uh, tension, you know, mask issue, you know, whether you yeah. wear a mask or not wear a mask and government overreach and pandemic and political issue. Like, it's just, oh my gosh, like, you know, you become a pastor and I feel like every every topic I talk about is the third rail. If you touch it, you're going to die. <laughs> That's right. Um, but but the reality is, 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 is I'll, I'll say two things, two things come to mind. I, I And one of them makes me very sad. Uh, but another one I think provides wonderful opportunity. The first is I think we're going to be more fractured uh, than we are now. And that's how I think about 10 years ago and, and, and what, as I kind of came into this, you know, young, restless, reformed evangelicalism, there was a, it felt like there was a collegiality and a brotherhood and a, and a same team approach uh, with so much that was going on. At least that's what I experienced. It felt like unity. And I think right now there's kind of some tectonic plates shifting underneath the surface, and it'll be interesting to see who winds up on what continent, so to speak. And, yeah. and again, that's, that's, that's not something I celebrate. It's just something I feel like I'm seeing and I, and I don't, I don't know how it stops. Um, and so I, I do pray that the Lord would, would give us unity, that we'd be known for our oneness and not our divisions, that we'd be known for what we confess together, not what we, not what separates us. But 
but and of course the Lord can use that. The Lord can use whatever He wants. So I do think there'll be a fractured uh, nature to evangelicalism in America that I that I lament and, and pray doesn't happen. But then I also think, uh, depending on what what part of of that you know uh, diversification you're going to be a part of, I think there's going to be a renewed depth. Like I don't think it's going to be a lot harder to do church as a hobby five years from now. Mm, yeah. uh, it's going to be a lot harder to whether and that could be even if you're a pastor. Even if you're in ministry, it's not. I mean, there's pastors who do who do ministry as a hobby, which is obviously <laughs> unfortunate. Well, but what a terrible hobby to be a part of. And the reality is, is, is I don't think we're going to have, you know, Christianity as a hobby five years from now. And, and by that, I don't mean we're going to be under intense persecution. I just mean it's going to be like, why, why am I doing this? I even think coming out of the pandemic and getting back to some normal rhythms here, hopefully in the next next year or so, we're going to see people aren't some people aren't coming back, and it's because they were here because it was an experience for them. But the people who are going to be coming back are going to be searching for a kind of depth that perhaps the, the, the evangelical church hasn't experienced in, in maybe a century. Uh, and they're going to be longing for not just home groups or Sunday school classes or, you know, what we can offer them at the church. And, and this is the key to deep discipleship. If I, if I could say anything. You know, Habakkuk 2.14, Habakkuk is, is, is prophesying and he, and he says, one day the knowledge of the glory of the Lord is going to cover the earth the same way water covers the sea. And you're like, wait a second, how does water cover sea? Water is the sea. And that's mm-hmm. his point. You know, like, like our hope is that one day the knowledge of the beauty of the triune God is going to cover every square inch of his creation. And I want to be a part of an evangelicalism. I want to be a part of a church. I want to be a part of home groups or Sunday school classes that say, we want that now. Like we, we want to be so full of the Holy Spirit, so saturated in scripture that we're seeking this abiding fellowship with God, not, not just when we die and go to heaven or when the Lord returns and renews all things like we, we want that now. And that's going to be the opportunity for the local church. And if, if you ask me five years from now, I think we're going to be seeing renewal in some local churches. I think we're going to be seeing a, a revival take place where people are saying we're done with hobby Christianity. We want the Lord and we want him now. I love it. I love it. Uh, an optimistic word, always, uh, I think, befitting good news people. We've been speaking with J.T. English, author of the new book, Deep Discipleship, How the Church Can Make Whole Disciples of Jesus. It's published by Robin and Holman. It's a very necessary book, one that I think will help you much in the days ahead. You can pick it up wherever good books are sold. J.T., thanks so much for coming on the podcast, brother. Such a joy, Jared. Thank you so much for having me. It was an honor. As always, listener, if you like the podcast, please share us with your friends. Give us a good review on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. Every little bit helps. And until next time, may Jesus be big in your church. You've been listening to the For the Church podcast, hosted by Jared Wilson, found online at ftc.co. This resource is brought to you by Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri, where we train leaders for the church.